Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. It is a kickoff edition to the NFL season. We are produced by Brian Neal, my musical producer you hear, his musical producer of many acts in L.A., as well as this podcast, one Sam Brandt, my son. We are going to talk about the start of the NFL season, and it is here. We're recording this on 9-9, Thursday, September 9th, and we have waited for this day since early February, seven months, long off-season, longest off-season in sports. Talk about that more in a second. Before we get going, a word for DraftKings, and it is a perfect time to talk about this as our sponsor. NFL gets underway, as we know, so you can get in on the action at DraftKings Sportsbook. As you may know, it's the official sports betting partner of the NFL. So with football returning tonight, we're going to give DraftKings is going to give new customers $200 in free bets instantly. All you have to do is place $1 on any game. You don't want to miss it, so head to DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Place a bet of $1 or more on any game this week. Receive $200 in free bets instantly. They didn't forget about current customers either. All customers can participate in DraftKings week one no-brainer. For opening night, that's tonight, all customers can double their money as long as Tampa Bay doesn't lose by 74 points. That's right, 74. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code ROSS. Receive $200 in free bets when you place $1 on any football game. That's promo code ROSS. Get your free $200 in free bets instantly for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. One wager required. $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Okay, here we are. The NFL season's here. February. Super Bowl was the last meaningful snap we had. Don't tell me about preseason. So here we are. More than seven months later, the NFL has the longest the longest offseason of any major sports league. I know that because I worked in it. So from my perspective, as someone who was an agent for many years, who ran a team, at least their finance and business, for 10 years, and now has been analyzing the business of the NFL for over 10 years, it's clear to me that my role is always counterintuitive. When the kickoff happens tonight, at 9 o'clock or 8.30 Eastern, Tampa Bay kicks off to Dallas or vice versa. I will, as I do every year for the past 25, 30 years, take a deep breath, take a deep sigh of relief because my time, my time's over. Like my work is done. And that was especially true working for a team. Now I know you got to go to the games and you have bottom of the roster decisions every week and you sign some extensions late in the year. But the fact is, for front office, the work is done. As an agent, the work is done. As a business of football analyst, a lot of the work is done. Now I'm going to continue to be here, to be on my columns and podcasts and commenting and Twitter and everything, and I'll be busy. But the work part, the contracts, the free agency, that's when teams are assembled in the offseason. They're assembled, they're architected, they're managed, they're built. It's all there. And that's the business of football. So now it's the game. So every year I always look at this time as like, okay, the front office takes a deep sigh of relief. They're done. They're done. They are turning the team over to the coaches. And now it's the coaches' responsibility. So the coaches and players go into what I call the submarine for five months, right? 
and they'll come out in January for teams that are lucky late January, early February. And that's it. And then they go back into their more freestyle life. And then the front office takes over in the submarine for six months. So this is the way football in the NFL works. Yes, there's things to do the next few months for business side in the NFL, but it's largely done in front office. At this time, now I know there's things going on, TJ Watt with the Steelers at this moment, but it's done. Like scouts are on the road checking out prospects for 2022. Cap managers and general managers are looking at who to extend later in the year. How do we look for 2022? That's what it's about now. So the present is important, but for front office general manager management of teams, you're looking ahead. You're looking ahead. So it's an interesting time because when you have talk about kickoff of the NFL season, to me, that was relief. The slowest times in my professional career, whether it's an agent in football, whether it was running a team in football, or whether it's analyzing the business of football, are now through, say, November. Slow. So I'm lucky that I don't cover games. I never wanted to cover games, never will want to cover games. I'm not traditional media with the NFL sense. I have a specialty. Hopefully I do it better than anyone. The business of the game, business and legal aspects, deeper concepts, taking you behind the curtain, taking you into the inner workings of sports. But now it's just the games and the weekly routine of what happens and players are cut or released or changes in Monday and Tuesday, then it's getting ready for the game later part of the week. So we're, we're there. We're there. It's kicks off. It's there. Um, you know, last minute stuff on the business side, we saw Dwayne Brown get a contract adjustment. I don't think that was anything big. The Seahawks got away with something because they didn't have to give new bonus. They didn't have to tear up the contract. They didn't even have to give bigger salary. They just readjusted some things. Turn per game bonuses into real money, turn an injury guarantee into real guarantee. Seahawks got away with that on Dwayne Brown. Mark Andrews of Ravens got a real deal, real big deal, nice deal. And then we'll see with TJ Watt. The thing on TJ Watt is everybody just says the obvious, pay the man. Of course they want to pay the man, but Steelers have a structure, which players don't like. The only guarantee is in year one. I'm sure Tom Condon, whoever represents JJ or TJ Watt, is saying, well, that's true for everyone else, but I got the best defensive player in the league. And the Steelers are saying, so what? This is the way we do things. It's always that. People don't understand with contracts and precedents, everything. Structure and precedent are everything. That's like when the Packers got Aaron Rodgers signed a couple of years ago in that massive deal and 60 million bonus and all that. I'm like, Packers just killed it because they kept their structure. And once you keep your structure and contracts uh, precedent with your best player, then it's over than any other player that asked for something different, forget it. And I'm sure the Steelers are saying to TJ Watt's agent, like, hey, that's the structure for Ben Roethlisberger, right? That's the structure for every player we've had in here. That's the structure for pick a name, whoever all pro player they've had. Levin Bell years ago, Antonio Brown years ago, uh, anyone. And what's TJ Watt going to say? You know, and now with these holdout rules, I know he's been holding in, but what's he going to do? You know, hold ins last for a while, but now the season starts. So what are you going to do? So the Steelers, I think, still have leverage there. Those are the things that are being wrapped up at the end. And of course, we saw some squeezing of running backs. Um, 
Latavius Murray with the Saints, you know, they gave him an, an ultimatum, take a pay cut or go. He said, no, I'm out. They go with the younger, cheaper option. This guy sweats it out through entire offseason and training camp, and then they come to him with that. It's a cold business, no colder than that. And listen, oh, what a cold business for running backs. I thought it was really poignant uh, note this week in the transaction page that the Ravens, who've lost some running backs, brought in Le'Veon Bell and Devontae Freeman for workouts. Think about that. I think it was three or four short years ago. These were the two highest paid players in the league. Bell on the franchise tag and Freeman on the highest paid actual contract in the league, like seven and a half, eight million a year. I'm like, now they're begging for tryouts for minimum. And they're not even getting minimum. They didn't sign Freeman. They signed Bell to the practice squad, whatever he makes, 8,000 a week or something. Like this is a guy making 14 million three years ago that he turned down with the tag. But anyway, the, uh, this is what's going on here. Hate to be a running back. They need their own union. They are the most disadvantaged group in the NFL for two reasons. One, teams think they can get younger, cheaper all the time. And two, the shortest shelf life of any position. Once you get past an age where some positions are just blossoming, like offensive line or quarterback, as a running back, you're on your way down or out of the league. There are outliers like Curtis Martin, Emmett Smith, Frank Gore, of course, but they're outliers. It doesn't happen. So we'll see players like Elliott and McCaffrey and Barkley and how long they last, Aaron Jones. But I don't think we're going to be seeing these guys at 30, you know, in any, in any prominent roles. That's just what happens. Okay. Let's get to something I wrote about in Sports Illustrated. I'll go through quickly my predictions from the business football angle uh, for the 2021 season. And the first one is right off the bat about the team being crowned champions last year, taking their rings tonight or whatever celebration they'll be. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they did it. They had a great season. They had a magical ride and they had a magical offseason. They signed everybody. They got Shaquille Barrett and Levante David to take Lower than market deals. Those guys could have made more, especially Barrett. They got Godwin on a franchise tag. They brought back the, the, the Brady crew of veterans, the grizzled veterans that Brady imported. Gronkowski, Antonio Brown, Leonard Fournette. They even brought in Gio Bernard, another sort of old-time veteran that probably Brady's happy with. So they ran, they're running it back. But I, I just, here's my feeling. Run it back, no, it's not going to work. So run it back usually doesn't work because every year, even if you have the exact same cast, people know this in sports and business, even if you have the exact same cast, it doesn't work. You know, you don't have the same results. There's a different dynamic. Things happen. The magic of the first year doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. I mean, look at, I don't know, it happens all the time. Brett Favre in his first year with Minnesota, all that magic. And the second year, same team, nothing. So this is the kind of thing that happens. Um, I don't think the Bucs are going to win the championship. I don't think they're going to win the NFC championship. I'm not saying they're not going to be a good team. I'm not saying they're not going to be in the playoffs. But I just think run it back is not going to happen. My prediction there. Second prediction, Deshaun Watson. This may not be a novel prediction, but I've been saying it for six months. He's going to play this year as much as you and I are going to play in the NFL this year. He's not going to play. Now, I don't know how they're going to do this. I don't know why the NFL hasn't acted. I don't, frankly, know why the Texans haven't acted other than to sort of leave them hanging. But you know uh, what I've saying, said for months. Okay, precedent is everything. Um, 
You've got Ben Roethlisberger and Ezekiel Elliott, six game suspensions for dealings with one woman. This guy's being accused by 22. This guy has criminal complaints. Those guys had no criminal complaints. Come on. Those are six games for, in the context of this, not much. And I don't see him playing. The Texans don't want him. He doesn't want to be there. They're all holding off till a trade next year. Well, hopefully the situation will be more clear and less cloudy. He's not going to play. Now, is he going to actually stay there? I don't know. He's not going to go on the first trip, I don't think, to Jacksonville. I think week by week they're just going to say we're, we're not playing him. Well, the NFL decides what to do. Well, the Texans decide what to do. He's on the de facto commissioner exemplus because they're not playing him. They don't want him. He doesn't want to play. He doesn't want to be there. That's been known since January, even though he signed a big contract a year ago. So here we are. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Deshaun Watson is not part of it. He'll be in the background somewhere. Now, people say, well, what if he just says, I want to play? Well, maybe that could force an issue, but he's not going to say that. He's not going to say that because he wants out. And then no team's going to trade for him. I mean, can you imagine an owner going to his fan base and say, hey, look, we got a great deal. We got Deshaun Watson. Hey, female fan base, look who we got. Come on. Not going to happen. Deshaun Watson will play this year as much as you or I will play. Another thought for the year, I think most unvaccinated players will eventually get vaccinated. Not all. I think that's too strong to say all. But I think you have to realize what we're talking about. To each his own personal choice, the NFL is not mandating vaccinations. They are making it extremely tough on the unvaccinated. But here's my thought. If it was just tennis, if this was golf, fine. But this is football, the ultimate the ultimate interdependent, codependent team sport. So if Kirk Cousins or Carson Wentz or Josh Sweat or Cam Newton before he got cut, if they don't want to get vaccinated from one point of view. Sure, of course, that's their choice. It's their body, all those things. They have their reasons. But then you're talking about team. There are team consequences here. If they get uh, and if they cause an outbreak, that which which would potentially result in a forfeit, your team doesn't get paid, the other team doesn't get paid. Imagine that division. If they have to get tested every day and they have to be apart from the team, that's not good. If Kirk Cousins and Carson Wentz can't sit in quarterback meetings, that's not good. So these are all things. I think most of these guys will get vaccinated. We saw with the kid at uh, – excuse me, Buffalo, Isaiah McKenzie, we'll see more of it. Maybe Lamar Jackson has, he doesn't want to uh, keep it. He wants to keep it private. You know, these things are going to happen. My sense is a lot of the unvaccinated, I don't know how big a population that is, will get vaccinated. Okay. Uh, other predictions I have, here's three about teams in the NFL that I think are going to be better than people think. I say, so my three teams that are going to be better than people think Number one, the Panthers. Uh, there's no buzz about the Panthers. You know, They're in a division with Tom Brady. They're in a division with new quarterback Jameis Winston. They're in a division with, with the Falcons. I think they're going to be good. They lost a lot of close games yet last year, and, and I believe in Matt Rule. To me, coaching really matters, not just the head coach, but the whole program. And he is a big about program. Here's a college coach. You have to look at track record. He goes to Temple, North Philadelphia. I know what that's like turns that program around, goes to Baylor, scandal rocked, turns that program around. If he can do it at Temple and Baylor, he can do it at Carolina with a billionaire owner, one of the big richest men in the world. I believe in Matt Rule and the Panthers. I like their chances. 
again, I'm not saying Super Bowl. I'm saying a lot of people see him last in the division or whatever. They're six, six wins, seven wins. I like this team. I like the Panthers. Another team that is going to turn around their fortunes, and this may not be a stretch to say this, that's the Chargers. This is the most hard luck team in the NFL. The poor team was playing in a bandbox of a soccer stadium. The poor team in San Diego didn't want to do any public funding to keep them. They couldn't go to L.A. as a major tenant. They're, I mean, I'm an owner, they're a tenant to San Cronky and the Rams. They, uh, uh, all these things. And, of course, they lose all the close games up until now. Their starting quarterback at this time last year had his lung punctured uh, with an injection. I just see fortunes turning. I like their coach, Staley. I like the quarterback, as everyone does. I like their talent. I think the Chargers will ascend this year. And another team I think will be better than anyone thinks is the team in the city I'm speaking to you now, Philadelphia. I don't understand why people think the Eagles are going to be so bad. What made them so bad last year was quarterback play of that quarterback who's now gone, costing the team $34 million in cap money. But Carson Wentz is now a Colt, and he'll be better than Colts. I, I definitely think he will be. But <laughs> they've extricated that issue. I like Hertz. Hertz is, a, to me, a running back with a good arm, but he can run and play quarterback. And now we have it. You know, they have ex- extraordinary speed and excitement at the wide receiver position, youth, and they have their lines, one of the best offensive lines and one of the best defensive lines. So I like the Eagles. Uh, I don't know about the Cowboys, but I like the Eagles to challenge for the division. People think it's going to be between Washington and Dallas. I say the Eagles, look out for them. Uh, So those are three teams I think are going to be better than anyone thinks. Another thing that I want to talk about as a prediction for the year ahead is my old friend who I talked about all offseason, Aaron Rodgers. Everyone talks about Rodgers in the the vein that, oh, my God, he was so upset. He was never going to come back. I knew he'd come back. And I still maintain uh, what I've maintained for two years. He will play as an MVP and he'll be a placeholder. Okay. They are moving on to love. And everyone's like, what if he wins the Super Bowl? I'm like, they are moving on to love. Aaron Rodgers will be traded in February. Okay? He will be traded. And he's not thrilled about being there. But he's a pro. So he will coexist with that front office. And he'll compartmentalize. And he'll be a great teammate. And he'll be a great player. It happens. You can do these things. Aaron can do this. The Packers can do this. I think he'll be an MVP again. I predict the Packers will win the Super Bowl. I predict the Packers will beat the Bucs in whatever playoff round. Of course I'm biased. I can't be not biased. It was there 10 years. I'm not going to get rid of my bias. But I really believe that Aaron Rodgers is going to have another MVP season. That's the prediction there. Another prediction. Last couple here. The last couple involve league business. I don't think people appreciate what has happened with the schedule. We had a 16-game schedule for 40 years. A year ago at this time, no, I'm sorry, 18 months ago, the NFL Players Association gave away what I think is a huge, huge asset to the owners that I continue to say, as I've said for 18 months, the NFL players didn't get back enough. Something that was non-negotiable from a player's side became non-negotiable from the owner's side. They needed extra games. They got it. They got a 17th game. I don't think the players got enough back in return. If anything, they got some minimum salaries. They got some better benefits, but geez. We are, here's the point. We are never, ever, ever, ever going back to 16 games. 
people, it's over, it's done. We are never going back. And what I wanna say is that that's huge. So whatever the injury rate was for 16 games, I don't know, let's pick a number, 28% of players got hurt and were out for more than one game. It's probably more than that. Now that'll go to 35% or whatever it'll go to, the, the 117th increase. So this is where we are. We're never going back. Maybe in 10 years, the next CBA will be at 18 games, maybe even before that. But you see the pattern. The NFL players gave away this precious inventory of another game. And yeah, there's going to be attrition. And when we get to the playoffs, oh, yeah, <laughs> they don't have their receiver. They don't have their best pass rusher. They don't have their best cover corner. Yeah. Now, would they have had them if it was 16 games? Maybe, maybe not. So the 17 games. And then the last prediction is the obvious prediction. The NFL is still and continues to be the undisputed king of U.S. sports. There's not even, it's not even close. Preseason games outrate playoff games in other sports. Think about that. Preseason games, which are universally mocked, <laughs> uh, outrate playoff games in other sports. You know, it's just, there's not even a comparison to other sports. Here's where the NFL is. They're on their second, at the beginning of their second 10-year collective bargaining agreement with the players, labor peace. It's there. This is why, again, I criticized that deal 10 years, I mean, I say 18 months ago that the players made, because the owners needed two things to go to the networks. They needed two things. They needed labor peace, and they needed the 17th game. Then they go to the networks and get, here's the number, $110 billion in television deals. I'll say it again, $110 billion. So the NFL now has $110 billion over the next 12 years in television deals. It's going to be a point in a couple of years where there's going to be almost half a billion dollars coming into each owner almost half a billion before they turn the lights on, before they earn one drop of local revenue. Maybe the cap is 275 million, maybe it's 300 million. But then there's gonna be 200 million above the cap for the team to operate before they earn a drop of local revenue. <sighs> these are salad days for NFL owners. They have the best product and these television deals are so good they even have an out after seven years. Maybe they do something better. Because NFL, because broadcast networks, both linear, CBS, ABC, ESPN, NBC, Fox, and streaming, Amazon, realize this is it. It's the only appointment viewing on, on television. It's the only live television people care about. It, is, it drives so much revenue for these networks. They realize they got to have it. So they're lapping up. So I think, you know, we've heard it before about the NFL. Oh, the, the Kaepernick, the kneeling is going to be a problem. No. Oh, the concussions, the brutality is going to be a problem. No. Oh, the lower ratings after the election year. No. No. Oh, COVID is going to downfall the NFL. Yeah, they lost money in COVID. They'll get back. You know, after the COVID year, they do these deals. They do these deals. They did them. And I said, the players gave them all the leverage. They gave them the 17th game. They gave them labor peace. What else does a network need? You know, you got more inventory and you got no threat of lockout strike for 12 years. What do you need? <laughs> so 
it's just amazing to me. And, and so I think we need to lose any thought that there's a decline in popularity in the NFL. And you know what? Ratings, who cares? Who cares? What if something happens over these one of these weeks? Uh, God forbid something happens. And the ratings are down. Does anyone, is anyone going to make a big deal of that? I mean, NFL ratings, there's no discussion anymore. Who cares? They got the, they got the new deals. So ratings, who cares? Again, if the ratings are great or the ratings are terrible, the deals are done. Like who cares? I mean, maybe it's a story for NFL media that covers media, but who cares? Who cares about ratings? Ratings to me are about, okay, are they going to get a new TV deal with an increase? Well, they've already shown that. That's easy. All right. Those are my 10 predictions for the NFL season. I want you all to enjoy it. And before I leave you, just a quick remembrance. Today is September 9th. We're two days away from September 11th. My remembrance of September 11th, 20 years ago is this. I've told this story before. I'm driving into work. I hear something. You know, it was at that time, no one knew what was going on. It sounded like a prop plane collided into the, one of the World Trade Center towers. And, and of course, we soon found out it was more than that. I remember coming into the Packers. It was an off day. It was a Tuesday. So players weren't around. But I saw our director of security, <clears throat> Jerry Perrins, who was kind of looking around and crying, you know, because he saw what was going on. And then you didn't know what was going on. And you had the uh, reports. And then a, something ha a plane falls out of the sky in Pennsylvania. Oh my God. I mean, all this stuff is going on. We didn't know what to do. Now I got to worry about the nuts and bolts of the franchise because we were scheduled to go to New York. Second week of the season, 2001, scheduled to go to New York, play the Giants. And it soon became clear that New York City, the Giants Stadium, Meadowlands was being used as a morgue. Oh my God. So we're not doing that. So now communication with the NFL is very hard, it's hard to get through there in New York, worried about people. I find out one of my friends in management council, his wife was in the towers and we eventually lost that woman. Paul Tagliabue is trying to reach Gene Upshaw. Gene Upshaw lost someone close to him in that building. So anyway, this is all going on and we don't know what to do. So I hear from one person in the NFL say, okay, get ready to host the Giants on Monday night television. And I'm like, okay, that would mean two consecutive Monday night games at Lambeau. They said, yeah, because the following we were hosting Washington Redskins, as they were called. And I'm like, you sure? They, yeah. So we're mobilizing to get ready to host the Giants. Right? And now there's no communication and we're still waiting. And now it gets to Thursday and we're mobilizing for a Monday night game. And then, of course, they say games canceled. And going to and the players want to be paid, though, so they're going to add the game at the end of the season. And we ended up going to New York to play the Giants at the end of the season. I took a detour with the, with the team. We went to ground zero. We played the Giants the next day. Michael Strahan got the sack record against Brett Favre. No comment on how that happened. And that's where we were. But what a poignant time. And then bringing the team to ground zero, again, this was early January 2002 by this time, just seeing these 300 pounders like stare at the notes and cry. It was really an emotional time. So that's my memory of 9-11. We were at one point going to host the Giants. We ended up hosting the Redskins, as I said, and that was kind of the key moment coming out of the tragedy. Chris Gizzy, one of our players, went to Air Force. He came out holding the flag. It was just a really quite a moment. Okay. 
My final thought I'm going to share with you, I, I was teaching yesterday my sports law class at Villanova, and we're talking about governance in sports and the lack of governance in certain scandals like Larry Nasser. He's the guy that abused hundreds of gymnasts in Michigan, both high school, college, and of course, U.S. Olympic team. It's a long story that happened and played out on stage at a courtroom in Michigan, or I think it was in Michigan, where all these gymnasts had their day in court and think that judge who's such a hero let these women speak up. I talked about it and I have a student in the class who uh, was one of the survivors, is one of the survivors. She was abused by Larry Nasser. She was in high school in Michigan when she saw him and um, she shared. So it was an emotional time. I, it was tough. We had the masks on, you know, but I truly appreciate her sharing. I told her that and I wrote her a note later in, that night. It was, um, you know, these things happen and students sometimes teach me. So what I try to do in class is really let it flow and let the emotion ring and, and let the class flow in, in ways that aren't linear. If it takes a turn, it takes a turn. So I appreciate her sharing. I'm not going to share her name or anything like that, but uh, that was a moment. Okay. Speaking of moments, the moment is upon us, the start of the NFL 21 season. We're going to track it here on the Business of Sports. There's always things to talk about every week, and I'm going to do some other neat things going forward into the season. You're not, obviously, you follow me on Twitter, Andrew Brandt. Instagram is growing, Andrew Brandt too. I'm tracking a lot. I'm sort of putting a lot of teaching videos up there as well. So go to my Instagram. Also doing something on Clubhouse now. Go to ADB719 on Clubhouse on Wednesdays. And then, of course, my Sunday 7 newsletter. It's important to sort of track things that I don't even get time, get ways to talk about on the podcast or the column at Sports Illustrated. Sign up again, andrew-brandt.com, and I'll get you going every Sunday. I think that's it. Uh, appreciate all these listeners. Appreciate you. Appreciate my producer, Brian Neal, my musical producer, the one only, my older son, Sam Brandt. So proud of him, what's he, what he's doing out in L.A. And that'll do it. Apple Podcast rankings and comments are always appreciated. Please let us know how we're doing. And we will talk next week where we'll host another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt.